0: requires high-speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg and you're listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Steph is back for our final show of the year. On Wednesday, December 14th, the NWSL and NWSL Players Association released a report from the joint investigation team led by lawyers from Covington, hired by the league for an independent investigation back in October 2021. And while, which is counsel for the NWSL PAs, they were about to lead their own investigation into the NWSL, those two combined by the end of October 2021 to become this joint investigative team and to produce this report. Now, as I'll mention in a minute, we have a number of stories up on this already. So please check the show notes for links to all of the relevant coverage if you have not read it, and also where you can find the full report. Now, just like the report has a warning on the first page, noting that it has graphic content, it is hard reading, our discussion will stray into some of these topics. I think generally. Didn't quite hit that same level, but obviously, listener discretion, please take care of yourselves. First and foremost, it has been a very, very long year once again, so just wanted to warn you before you listen to the rest of the show. Um, also, before we get to the rest of today's episode, you can sh- show your support a full-time and get all of the rest of our women's soccer coverage, plus everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and our app. You can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. Again, The story is not going anywhere. We're about to hit a World Cup year. There's so much going on, and we appreciate everyone who is along on this journey with us. All right, here's Steph. All right, Steph, there's a lot to talk about, because once again, we have a giant document. This time when we're recording, at least, we have read the full thing instead of the opening section and the recommendations, so we actually have the full document to go from. Um, I, I guess let's just start with like first first impressions from your first read through of the giant, 125-page joint investigation report.
0: So I want to preface this. I don't take this report lightly at all. Uh, But instead of calling it like the full joint investigation team or like Covington and Burlington, I've like shorthanded it to like Festivus report in my head because it feels like a true airing of grievances. Just everybody being able to say everything that they needed to say, which I thought was really good. Mm -hmm. It does make for kind of an unwieldy report, but there's no, I think they actually did do a pretty good job at the end of trying to concisely be like, these are the systemic issues that led to this thing though, where like dozens and dozens of people all had these stories of varying magnitudes, severities, intensities. So it felt like an attempt to be really comprehensive and they talked about how many people they reached out to and how many interviews that they did and I think it did come come through in the report and I'm glad that you know people were able to say what they wanted to say, no matter what.
1: yeah, I think it really does feel. I mean, obviously with Sally Yates, right, like there were really were three people in focus of that report. And she fully said, this is what we're doing here. Whereas obviously the section of you, you go through the Paul Riley stuff, the big revelation there, of course, in this report is that the behavior continued in North Carolina and Kaylee Kurtz again shows an incredible amount of strength and decides to put her name on it and and provides her account of what happened in North Carolina. And then Rory Dames in Chicago, Chrissy Holly across uh, Sky Blue and then Race in Louisville. But then there's this whole other section, which the, the choice that I found really interesting was to arrange by misconduct rather than person. Because I think that shows in a way that we haven't really gotten before of, how these behaviors are really widespread, and they do not—they're not limited generally to one person, right? Especially the the section on weight shaming, where we got an incredible amount of detail around what happened with free Ben Stidi, Vera Powell comes in, but also again, you get to pull in the players' accounts around Paul Riley. So you're getting the sense of oh, this is happening multiple places at the same time, and. Still, again, I think one of the big feelings here is like, this is such an immense project to fix. (laughs) And now, like to your point, I think airing grievances is kind of accurate because now I don't know if we're ever going to be truly done rehashing what has happened. Rehashing isn't even the right word. Like accounting for what has happened, right? But this feels like the last major piece of it. And now we are shifting into, we have... 14 recommendations from Sally Yates. We have 39 recommendations from the joint investigative team and we got to do all this stuff Mm -hmm. and we got to sell two teams.
0: (laughs) That's true. I think it is, it feels like a turning point now where we truly can look forward. And there's two things about that forward looking component, um, that, and, and one of them being, um, I think now the thing that people are going to have to grapple with, maybe, you know, us fans and the people implementing the rules is like getting the nuances, fine-tuning things. We saw that one of the huge problems before that I think this Covington report really lays out um, in all the chaos of it is that they make it a lot clearer how different the rules were between teams in the league and U.S. soccer. That part where they were like not a single team mentioned um, the anti-harassment policy that the league has or like didn't fully reference it was like yep. really eye-opening. Right, It's kind of neatly encapsulates some of the issues that are going on here. But now moving forward, I think we're going to see like the implementations at first are not going to be perfect. Right. And people are going to want to account for every single possible eventuality. You can't you can't. I The other part of looking forward is that more incidents are going to happen. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Like They're trying to be preventative, which I applaud, like to cut down on it not happening in the first place, but it's inevitably going to happen. That's what happens when you put hundreds and hundreds of people together into a high-pressure work environment um, like sports. So I think the people who are trying to formulate these policies are really have their work cut out for them in trying to be uh, trying to balance being predictive but not too predictive, if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
1: hmm Yeah. I mean, one of, I think, the most interesting recommendations coming out of this is, um, and this is a small one, to be fair, but the relationship now with alcohol in yeah. team spaces, right? Because we have seen that be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, time and time again, and a lot of it is in a more kind of limited social setting, but having clearer guidelines of how players are expected to interact with with staff, um, and having staff, I think, be a little more aware, because there are a lot of stories, and it's not just Paul Riley, right, yep. where alcohol is involved, and things start to go sideways yeah. quickly. But that's, yep. that to me, it feels like one of these ones of, struggling to figure out, like, how do we allow for people to be adults who are in charge of themselves versus overcorrecting and saying, like, you can't have any alcohol in any situation. But what I think is really interesting is now maybe looking out at at industries outside of sports and who has accounted for this. Because Mm -hmm. someone brought up to me in entertainment, like, one of the big fallout things from Harvey Weinstein is no more rap parties. Like, don't even have the situation where you put a whole bunch of people <laughs> with different roles in a room with alcohol and and lower boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's gonna be harder to deal with as we're you know mentioning all these situations is like the true way to get to the root of it is one of the issues that we've talked about in coaching where coaches The way that we teach our coaches to coach in this country is like fundamentally flawed. And it has been for a really long time. And so it's when we talk about like these problems don't just show up in a pro league. Mm -hmm. They start at the youth soccer level. Why do they start at the youth soccer level? It's because we have kind of like this fundamentally warped relationship with coaches role with athletes and with sports in general. And so that's going to be the much harder piece to grapple with this culture of like what is fundamentally acceptable to do in the name of sports and winning mm-hmm. and like how we place those things in our value systems in right? society, right? Because the problem, if you want to truly go all the way back, stems, comes to someone somewhere getting the belief like I'm allowed to treat people this way and it's okay to do that because of the environment that we're in because I'm a coach this is how coaches are supposed to treat players and that's a harder thing to get to that you can't manage away with policies you can only kind of address the fallout of it
1: right yeah I mean it, there's never going to be 100 percent policy solution to this I mean a lot of it is cultural and I think that's been such a big part of this conversation and why, you know, I think, again, a thing that I keep telling people whenever I do interviews, like, one of the big, most encouraging things is that you have Shim chairing the Participant Safety Task Force over at U.S. Soccer and having that sense of the role of culture, right, and that there are governance pieces, there are policy pieces, there's the reporting piece, right, like, there's all these elements to it, but the part that might actually do the biggest amount of change is if you can actually shift the culture. And that is the, the toughest part of this a hundred percent. Like this is, I mean, even when you think about the way that like watching the men's world cup this past fall and the way that we talk about the U S men's national team of like working hard and, 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 like all of this stuff, like it is baked into this culture that we have in the way that we talk about sports. Mm -hmm. And I think, Undoing that and unpacking all of this is just going to be.
0: I know. It's,
1: I know. It, we're never going to get there. We're just never going to. And so it's how much? How much can you get done?
0: Yeah, it, it's going to take something that I think there's going to be a lot of resistance. Like every single time I hear a player go, like, I missed births, uh, parties, weddings, funerals, or whatever. I miss that in order to go do this thing. I'm like, in any other industry, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, you're a workaholic. Mm-hmm. You need to relax. This mm-hmm. doesn't sound healthy, um but in sports, we just accept like that's the price of greatness, right. right? So I think we need to. That's that's a bigger question for people to grapple with. Like, huh? Why is it that we say that that that's okay? And it's sports? celebrate.
1: I mean, like I keep reading all the stories about Chris Latang who just had a stroke and then was playing for the Penguins like ten days late. Like. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about, I think. Right. At, like, at the, the most fundamental level of, of prioritizing performance and winning over human, well, right. being a human, honestly. Uh,
0: I see it sometimes in a little bit of the Brittany Griner coverage, too, where people ask, like, is she going to play? I'm like, don't ask that question. There should be no questions. Don't even ask it, like, as a hypothetical, you yeah. know, because you cover the, the Phoenix Beat or whatever don't put that expectation out there. Just let yeah. her have privacy and time to heal and think.
1: Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's there's a lot. And this is a, a whole different conversation. So I think we can <laughs> <laughs> at least attempt to swing it back around to the report. I mean, uh, let's also, before I guess we get into anything like really specific, I don't know, you know, both of us have done kind of big comprehensive pieces on Uh, a lot of this already I if you have not read it I have a piece on sort of the major takeaways though obviously it is not comprehensive because honestly if you want it just read the report Um, but Steph again like your timeline to me is like the most definitive (laughs) document we have uh, in terms of like really putting everything up against each other and showing I think in a way that A lot of these reports have not just how all of this stuff is just happening at the exact same time um so i highly recommend both we'll have both of those links in the show notes obviously but i want to start this conversation off too with the timing of when this report was released because this was a whole subtopic (laughs) yesterday um it was brought up in the press conference Uh, jessica berman nwcl commissioner Megan Burke, executive director of the NWSL Players Association, Amanda Kramer from Covington, and Ariana Scavetti from Weil were all in what appeared to be a college classroom <laughs> in whichever law firm they were at on, I'm, I'm gonna like have a stray here. Webex is a terrible system and all law firms, I judge you for using it. I know why you do, but I hate it. Um, but they're in this in this press conference setting in DC And the report drops, they told us 2 o'clock, everybody publishes their story at 2 p.m., the actual report drops at 2.05, which is like legitimately as France is scoring against Morocco in the men's World Cup semifinal, and then the press conference is scheduled for 4 p.m. Eastern, which is right as the game concludes. And I want (laughs) to, there's a lot of angles to this because I think I don't want people to think like this is us as media people bitching that like it's hard to do our jobs because honestly, for the two of us, it doesn't impact us at all. We're not writing about the men's world cup. We were fine. This is not a complaint coming out of like, Oh, it made my job harder. It didn't, It didn't impact me in the slightest. I didn't watch the game. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, The, the problem that I had with it is that you have this juxtaposition of Arguably one of the best World Cup games in the tournament against, again, the shittiest part of this sport, the worst moment of the NWSL. And if you are an unbiased consumer who has no idea what's happening and you are looking between amazing game and 125 page report detailing sexual misconduct and other forms of abuse in a league, you are going to write that league off. And it also does not. It, it just does a massive disrespect to the players who wanted all of this put out into sunlight and putting it up against the world cup semifinal is not the way to put it out into sunlight.
0: Right. Th-
1: those are my first two thoughts. <laughs> I was hoping that you could maybe walk us through
0: what got said
1: <laughs> in the
0: press conference. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, it was literally the very first question. I believe Meredith Cash from Business yep. Insider was the first person called on. So it was the very first question asked. Um, so, you know, this was a uh, I think Becker. No, I think uh, Megan Burke was the first person. Very sorry, Megan. I was about to say Becker Rue, who's her counterpart, the women's national team. Um, and, you know, she said she's been really like singularly focused personally on the players that she represents obviously as executive director. Uh, So she has also missed World Cup games. And, you know, she mentioned that they had scheduled an important uh, player readout that actually conflicted with the semifinal the day before that as well and had to move it. Um, But she said the the report needed to be released when it was finished, and it was finished. It needed to be released. We didn't want the players to have to head into holidays uh, with this moving over them, and I think we've cut it about as close as we possibly could. And Like, I understand that sentiment. I think that, you know, it's also fair to, you know, not find it enough of an explanation. Um, I think that I have two primary thoughts on this. One being that they took such care with the report and listening to the players, but then people see the time when you schedule it. So I think it's fair for people to question, well, how much care was there taken if you're not thinking about, you know, the logistics of when to, to release it, like you've been so thoughtful until now, what what happened? And, and it makes people pause and be like, okay, it doesn't look like you're being thoughtful enough about this, so what else w- weren't you thoughtful about? Which may be an unfair characterization, but I think it's understandable for people to pause and be like, okay. And the second one being, on a more human level, I think something like this was inevitable where somebody kind of made a goof like we've been dealing with this for over a year. I think that Megan has a fair point when she's like she's been singular. They've been in the weeds on this for over mm-hmm. a year. They it said is they contacted it is over raw. 700 players. Yeah. Um, How many hours of interviews, how much pulling out all this stuff and compiling it and just making it your life for probably like 14 hours a day, day after day, after day, while also negotiating their first CBA, you know, and handling all this other stuff. So I understand both sides of the equation here, where people rightfully are having some questions like, doesn't feel like you Mm -hmm. really, it feels like you dropped the ball on this. And then the other side being like, I can see how that happened. I hope it doesn't happen again, but, Based on it, all the work that they've really done up until this point, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt and be like, "Well, yep. it was a goof." Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I think there there probably should have been someone in the room who pointed out like, I, I think there's a couple things to consider for the league moving forward, right? And it's not, you know, I think I have respect for not wanting to to bow to like a men's event. I get that, but at the same time everyone not us or Sandra at CBS or Jeff at Equalizer, right? Every other person who covers women's soccer at a mainstream outlet has to make a decision to cover women's soccer or has to fight someone (laughs) to make a decision to cover women's soccer. And so if you make that decision harder for them, nine times out of 10, I think, women's soccer is not gonna win that fight so that's part number one. And part number two is just, to your point, a lot of people are going to leap to conclusions with this league and intentions behind every decision because there is now a, a an understandable distrust of, of the league's decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. And so even if that does not impact your decision, I think there has to be an awareness of it. So having someone in the room who is maybe at least going through it and like, look, if fundamentally your decision is still 2 p.m. on Wednesday and you can justify it, fine. And it's not, it's like, this is not a personal criticism against Megan Burke or Jessica Like it really is not. It is just thinking about the bigger picture and what I think is at stake here. And that is why I think everybody kind of had this knee-jerk reaction of, this is when we're going to, there are other hours in the, we had the whole morning. Right. <laughs> we, have, we have the whole morning guy. Like, and yes, there are time zones we know, but like noon.
0: Right. <laughs> right? right. Like it, it looks bad because yeah. it, it's bad. Yeah. And so, I want to reiterate, I actually have a lot of respect for Megan Burt, but once again, I mentioned that CBA, like that was a lot of work. Yeah. And it was, you know, uh, it, and my final thought is, yeah, it was a goof, but you can't be mad at people for having no tolerance for goofs at this point.
1: I think that's a perfect place to leave it. <laughs> that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, one of the other big things from this that I wanted to talk to you about is I think this report does a really good job of maybe like bookending things around the cell and that, we get kind of this history piece right of you know here's how the league formed obviously but then also this sense of really spelling out you have two failed leagues you have this culture of please shut up and be grateful and like I thought that section was just so strong and Mm -hmm. then to have also I think we got new details in this report about Mm -hmm. what happened after coaches left and the failures that happened at teams and the league, and to some extent, us soccer Mm -hmm. after coaches left. And so there is, I think maybe a little bit more of a complete before, during, after in this one, did you, did you have that same sort of, like, I felt like the timeline here felt more complete in a way.
0: As someone who had to go through this report page by page by page to pull out uh, anything that had a date on it in order to add it to the timeline, yes, in a way, it did fill out a lot of uh, sections where you kind of got a better idea of who told whom what, when. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that does neatly cross over with, you know, this idea that it was a true airing out. So they did get a lot more detail the comparison I made with like the Yates report was kind of a sledgehammer because it had to be because it had to be like things are really, really bad. We need like, it's almost like we need to stabilize this patient in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And now that they're a little bit stable, we can move on to the rest of their care plan and be maybe a little bit less like,
1: sorry, we're also still doing our Grey's Anatomy rewatch. So like in my head, I'm like, Oh, so the Yates report is Owen <laughs> being <laughs> trauma and getting yelled at by Mark and Derek for being a right. meatball or whatever they call him. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Just my exactly. brain, That's how my brain works. Okay, moving just on. Just
0: taking care of the immediate emergency. And right. this is more like the chisel where you yes. can kind of start fine tuning like, all right, this and this and this and this. Um, Which I don't want to downplay anything that came out in this report, like the, the severity or the magnitude of it. But it was just a lot more of it and maybe a little bit more refined and mm-hmm. where it was like trying and how it was trying to look because they they had the luxury of that had, being the second report and having a little right. more time so right another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
1: the other part of this, too, that I want to talk to you about, because I mean, even when we were doing our read through, I think one of the things that I just kind of kept sending you stuff about is the role of the two general counsels um, across this document, because I think, I mean, as someone we've both been in on this for a long time. Right. And I think these are two names that we kind of kept coming, like kept coming up and kept coming up. And there wasn't really a way for us to like link them in, in a, in a more efficient manner, right? Just because we did not have the access that either investigation had, which <laughs> makes sense, obviously. But Lisa Levine and Lydia Walkie, I think are through lines in a lot of ways. And also from what the investigation report really shows about them, there was uh, an interesting approach to doing the job. I'll put it that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to start us off by talking about... <laughs> this is uh, like... We're going to see my blood pressure start to rise. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can just like watch me get more and more heated. Um, it's on page 34 of the report. Mm-hmm. And she is talking about when Mana and Sinead tried to send off their original original asks to the league to consider reopening the investigation into Paul Riley and there is this the the joint investigation report uh, characterizes it as deflecting it back onto the players mm-hmm. and that they withheld information about Sinead's own past with Paul Riley in order mm-hmm. to gain leverage over the league, and that they should actually be blamed for how long he remained in the league because of how they handled the situation. And I want to <laughs> <laughs> discuss this in a way that's productive. Um, but there is this sense, uh, and like, I think so, Marjorie, my wife described it as kind of like a grasping of straws, which I I do think is fairly accurate. But there is this expectation there, I think, that because, and when you go back and read those emails, right, there is so clearly, uh, please talk to us because there is something here that we need to tell you that is maybe not appropriate for an email. And obviously, now we're dealing with hindsight, like the expectation that, Sinead would have basically trauma dumped into an email feels especially heinous to me. But I think that is one of kind of the big things that I am stuck on from this report of everyone who had knowledge is still kind of looking for ways of saying like, well, look at what someone else did.
0: Mm-hmm. I think we tend to land on the lawyers and the situation because that's why you hire lawyers. Right to advise you, like, hey, this might be a sticky situation, and to that extent, maybe they did their jobs in terms of like their responsibility being to protecting their the liability
1: of the league, right? Yes, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Their primary responsibility being to their client, as morally repugnant as we might find it mm-hmm. by the standards of like their jobs, perhaps they did find there, although. I do want to highlight the one thing that really stood out to me in terms of professional irresponsibility that actually I think is a question for, um, you know, so in in the state of Illinois, because I assume this is being done out of U.S. Soccer House in Chicago, that's the Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission of the Supreme Court of Illinois. So maybe that's a question for them. But this is June 2018. Lisa Levine informs Arnhem Whistler that a player made a complaint about Rory Dames. And then in her own notes, Arnold Whistler immediately guessed which player it was. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And is speculating, oh, she just wants to retaliate against Rory, blah, blah, blah. And Lisa Levine doesn't... We don't know the exact details of the situation, but what we don't see is that she tells him, no, that's not the player. Right. Whatever. Basically (laughs) confirms the player's identity. And it's like telling him, don't talk to the player until the league can call her first. So, okay, yeah, she told him, don't talk to the player. But it's like, did you confirm her identity? What did you say? Like, Because whatever happened next, like, Arnhem immediately went and talked to the player. Right? And to Lori. And to Lori Danes, Which may or may not have led directly to them retaliating against the player. Even Lydia Walkie apparently made a note of this because she learned that Lisa Levine told Arnim Whistler about the complaint. And she notes the disclosure may put him in the position of unwittingly creating a retaliation claim if he acts on it or communicates it to any third party and worse to the responding party, end quote. So you the next have, line
1: is like, and then he tells Rory Dames.
0: Right, right, right. Like same day, he tells Dames of the complaint. um, And then the next day, Rory Dames tells Ardham he, he heard somehow that Levine has contacted a player to set up a call. Whistler says, I've talked to the player in question. um, And then just like you can see, and then in June 18th, Johnson is traded to the Utah Royals. So again, there's some reading between the lines. We don't know the actual text, these conversations. We don't know, maybe Lisa Levine was actually very strident about like, do not talk to this player. And then Arnim just did whatever he wanted to do anyway, because that's kind of like a through line, right? He just does Mm -hmm. whatever he wants. He doesn't believe what anyone says about Rory James, or even if he does believe it, he excuses it or whatever. So we don't actually know. But like that in particular stood out to me as being like, kind of encapsulating the, how that irresponsibility mm-hmm led to such like direct harm to players right, right.
1: yeah it's not like six degrees it's and we're, right. we're done and right. it, there it is
0: like right.
1: yeah I, I think it's also I mean and maybe it's just because I'm thinking about all of the other elements of the story too in terms of like things that Lisa Levine has been involved in because she was also all across the equal pay lawsuit as general counsel of US soccer, I think about the Olivia Moultrie lawsuit in terms of her suing the league in order to be able to play. And then one of their their legal arguments that the league couldn't be sexist against Olivia Moultrie because it was run by women, right? Like I mean there's a lot there's a lot happening there and like yeah. there, there there's a recurring character situation where it's just kind of like, oh all right, like, this is, it it just kind of seems like every, every time that there is like a bad legal problem here, the same name shows up. So, um, all right, one, one other big discussion, I think that the report has, I think, in a much more constructive way, especially having real tangible recommendations, is that this report think does a more concrete job of showing the role of racism homophobia anti-semitism like all of the kind of identity stuff sexism to obviously like i mean that we'll just assume sexism that's like baked into the whole premise yeah <laughs> but like more specifically the the racism homophobia the i mean richie burke straight up saying like yeah i did anti-semitic jokes but i, I just didn't know that there were jewish players on the team as if that's a def- I mean, I, I don't know what we expected there, but um, yeah, I mean, there is this sense of there are more players, like there are a certain subset of players more vulnerable than others mm-hmm. and there need to be specific protections to ensure that they are actually not, like, yeah. experiencing multiple forms of yeah. abuse.
0: I definitely appreciated that more from the report and that it highlighted that once these situations occurred um the you know the teams the league often placed the substantial burden of engaging in race and other culture related activities on the black players so it's like you've suffered from the problem um and it often gets framed as like we'll let you take the lead on this which i i understand that there's a balance there between not wanting to talk over you know, black players or other players who've been mm-hmm. impacted by, you know, racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny. And at the same time, there is a way to do it <laughs> where you don't make them responsible for educating everybody else everybody else around them. There's tons of guides now online about how to like, where to find material, what kind of material and how to pass it out and to like, help take on the burden of the educational role.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: tons and tons of material out there for you to find on your own. Right. So,
1: yeah. And I, I think that is one of the more concrete and hopefully like very quick things that is implemented is that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of educational pieces that need to go into this, but to ensure that there are real and meaningful trainings too around microaggressions and, you know, like, it, it doesn't just have to be like how to recognize the signs of harassment in training. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a much larger and deeper thing in that that the league actually undertakes. Um, and I think what makes this even more important is that like we are seeing more and more hires from an NWSL front office point of view and they continue to be white people um, very consistently. So... I think that is a real struggle point for the NWSL. Um, in terms of you know, what I really, really, really do not want to see is that this NWSL front office is full of white women and then they hire a DEI officer and
0: it's a black person, right? Like that like danger, danger. Don't be that. don't be that office. Don't be that organization. Come on, guys. Yeah,
1: like that that to me is like number one here. <laughs> that like you can just see it playing out that way. So I am hopeful that like, there are meaningful high, like, and not just one one person, right? Like this needs to be a much larger project. And like the league, the demographics of the league have been changing in a good positive trend. Like it's still not there yet. Right. But the sport is changing.
0: Yeah.
1: The sport is changing, which is good. It should not be a white kid suburban sport, right? And that is not, I hope, where the NWCL continues to go. And we've seen that trend change, right? But you have to have this front office, the NWCL front office, and team front offices reflect the demographics of the players and the demographics of the fans.
0: And just to head off any, like, oh, are you saying they should only hire black people for these roles? Like, that's not what we're saying. Yep. What we're saying it's. They need to look at the processes that they go through and see who they're talking to and why, like, and who has access to the spaces that they're looking into. Just be highly, highly, highly aware throughout the hiring process and then maybe, you know, build it into your process that you, I don't want to say overcompensate, it's just compensating, right, right. for, you know, the reality That white people tend to have more access to these spaces for various reasons Mm -hmm. and then just acknowledge you have this you might have like a spot that you're not aware of and again there are plenty of resources that you can look up on how to compensate in your hiring practices and who you talk to to make sure that you know candidates who might not have the same access are brought into the space as well
1: right or it's not even same access right like it's just in terms of like what roles people have, held, like it's just, you have to, I think to your point, compensate for it. So yeah, I, I think that is obviously a, a big part of it. And a big part that I do hope teams and the league are willing to be held accountable to long-term like that. I think that was one of the big messages kind of across the day of, you know, from an NWL players association point of view of like, we will be holding the league accountable. Uh, we are not afraid to do that. And that, that should be something that the cell doesn't only expect, but encourages. Because if you wanna walk the walk, then you gotta walk the walk. Like it really is, sometimes it is that simple. This is not a simple project, but like.
0: Yeah, but sometimes it really is just like, just do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so I'm trying to think of if there's anything else like that we really ha- need to, to talk about. Like, we've been going for 37 minutes. We all like, every time we record, I'm always like, I should have done an outline. I never do an outline.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think we hit, you know, all the new stuff that really jumped out to me. I, I do want to say that, you know, in some of the newer details, um, I, I would say two of the coaches or, like, two of the situations that I I am really hoping we get more answers on, and you will, I will certainly be ask, asking about that. One is Vera Powell, yep. because she is an active national team coach right now with Ireland. Mm-hmm. And the other one is maybe a developing situation with Kansas City. We don't know. Right. Um, they just put out a statement last night at like 11 p.m. Eastern time. Yep. After I for once had gone to bed early, the one time, you know, discussing Hugh Williams and his association with the Kansas City Current.
1: Did they um, actually talk about <laughs> what happened with them, though? No.
0: No, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think these are ongoing situations. But it's like we said at the top of this episode, though, right? Like, things are going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. And so the work now is going to be in refining policies, the application of those policies, who's in charge of the policies, etc. Yep. To figure out, kind of muddle our way through to hopefully a healthier league.
1: Yeah, it's the governance part, right? Like, we're, we're now into the, like, the stuff that is really hard to pay attention to, but is really, really important. And, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Like, this is the stuff where people start to check out the the reports, get a huge wave of attention. Megan Rapino or Becky Sauerbrunn saying these people need to be gone gets a huge wave of attention. And now, you know, we have two sale processes ongoing. Um, we have the governance piece. We have the process piece. Like, this is the stuff where eyeballs still need to stick around and that, like, again, like, you know, as people who live it every day, we know <laughs> it is not necessarily, like, the, the most fun thing to read about, but, like, this is where the sausage getting made is really, really important.
0: Right. The The big sledgehammer report is important, but so is the part where someone has to write out sections A through <laughs> q and like sub point each one subpoint right. one and then you get to like the roman numerals of like the sub point just like yeah that part is it's it can feel dull but it's so important right so all right um
1: not to shift from one topic that's really tough to another topic that's really tough but i did want to end on a note about grant wall um still emotional um but obviously in terms of coverage of women's soccer in the country like he was one of the first and only um the role that we have did not exist until 2019 i don't think it exists without the work that grant did ahead we both saw him in london i think was the most recent time but i figured it was worth uh closing the episode with some thoughts
0: um I'll leave you with uh, the last story I have about Grant, which is we saw him in London for USA England. Me, idiot, (laughs) didn't get the right power adapter. And I didn't realize it because it had worked in the hotel. It was like an EU power adapter in general. And the hotel is obviously hotel. So it's going to have like uh, all kinds of uh, plugs kind of for Mm -hmm. different countries (laughs) pre-Brexit. So I was like, you and I were staring at this outlet like, the, that scene in land yeah, like, where they're like oh, be and dumb here. inside the computer trying to like look at the prongs and be like it doesn't how many degrees does it take <laughs> to figure out what goes in the outlet right so finally I realized oh no I bought like a general like UK or like EU country adapter but not an England specific adapter who created this dumb system of energy that we live in and then of course no one has an adapter the local people don't, of course not. But then Grant, World Traveler, obviously yeah. has the right one. He lets me use it the whole game. And at the end, like finally he's like, hey, I need this back because my battery's dying. I was like, you could ask for it back. Like my computer's been on hundred percent this whole time. But anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was always the the little things. I was telling someone the first time I met Grant was at the game that we affectionately refer to as Frisco, Frias- Frisco Fiasco of January, 2014 between USA and Canada, um, where I think it was like match day minus one stuff. And I walked in and Leslie Osborne and Cat Whitehill were also working that game for Fox. And so like, they saw me walk in and they were like, man, what's that? And like Grant was like, what the hell is this kid? Um, and then came over and just introduced himself and was trying to figure out who I was and what I did. and, and, you know me trying to explain to him yeah i flew myself here and i don't get paid to do this and <laughs> that's <laughs> the whole deal <laughs> i just like it <laughs> yeah. um so it is i think it is still something that everybody is trying to figure out i think it has also made a lot of us think about our approach to work and in both good and and critical ways. Um, there is nothing quite like a tournament grind. Um, I cheated my way through France 2019 by literally always posting up next to Grant in every single mix zone. So I don't, so tall, so tall, so easy to spot every single time, just making a beeline for him every single time. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I hope that we can be those people, um, in 2023.
0: We'll sit you on my shoulders so that he, <laughs> that way we would probably be about as tall as Grant. <laughs> That's uh, fair. I will um, and then I can also guard
1: you from overzealous male reporters who won't be named who want to yell at people over your shoulder. That's a story for another day, but like No, it's a story always for remember- right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because Grant, this this is the actual last story I'll tell about Grant Wall on this episode, which is 2019 World Cup, male reporter is like screaming at poor aaron Heifitz, the u.s soccer women's national team uh press relations guy about i think how he had been promised a player something that he thought that he had been owed and it's like haranguing aaron in the middle of you know the bowels of the stadium full mix-on right a full like a lot of witnesses to this temper tantrum (laughs) but the real problem for me was that he was doing it literally in my ear like he was I'm doing a flip image, so it's hard. But, like, literally he was this close, so his little mouth is yapping <laughs> full volume in my ear. And then Grant, tall, tall Grant, just kind of neatly, like, slipped in and, like, diffused the situation just very calmly with a couple yeah. sentences. Like, hey, Aaron, like, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And I was just like, oh, thank God, I don't have to fight this man in the bottom of yeah. a stadium. So, you know.
1: That is, I think that's a good... That is truly. I also, this is very unrelated to Grant, but I think he kept looking at us too because we were so freaking amused by it. But like someone had left their laptop balanced <sighs> on one of those stanchions. Like just a full, like a pole right. with nothing on it. Like this size for a laptop. And a laptop just sitting there open with no one near it. And the two of us were obsessed with it. Like obsessed with it. And Grant kept looking at us like, what is wrong with the two of and it was just like it was sports so we were like is it gonna fall is someone gonna knock it over?" we don't know we need to watch i don't know i think a penalty kick so those are our our grant stories but obviously he will very much very much be missed (sighs) that was yeah i will that i i do remember him just like slipping his shoulder in right between the two of you and being like I'm gonna sound like a reasonable human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good times. All right, Steph. Uh, well, I will obviously talk to you in like a matter of moments. But for the people <laughs> on the show, happy holidays. Uh, enjoy your your trip for the holidays. Um, get some rest. Take at least a little time off.
0: Love a, a combo Christmas Hanukkah with my <laughs> in-laws.
1: Yep. Well, the food is gonna be good. So
0: we off the chain.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, I think this is probably the last show for the year because in theory I have um, we won't use the word for it because every time I use the word for it, something happens in women's soccer. But I will not be here. So for all of the rest of you, happy holidays. Thank you as always to, to Steph for hanging out for a bit again um for all things full-time you can visit fulltimepod.com there are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot plus more information about the show and again if you'd like to subscribe to the athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time my name is meg you have been listening to full-time with meg lenahan thank you so much for all of your support in 2022 cannot wait for 2023 to start um I am still on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Same handle for Instagram. And of course, you can always find my work at The Athletic. Uh, Full time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. Special shout out to Michael. He has been in full tournament mode with the Men's World Cup. He's been hosting shows. He's been editing shows. The hours have been crazy. So I also hope that he gets time off and rest and recovery because he's about to do round two with us next year. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next year.